Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of the Kindle Award-winning novel Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, as well as the Hotel series and Pretty Ugly. Joining me today, as always, is my co-hostess with the mostess, my Vox Vomitus vixen, Alison Martine, authoress of The Bourbon Books, which include Dibs, Since September, and Move on Melinda. With us today is a guest we are very excited to talk to. It's Vera Kurian. And we are going to be talking about her new book, Never Saw Me Coming. Oh, flash the book for everyone. <laughs> Welcome, Vera. Welcome to Hi. Vomitus. Thank you for having me. Uh, we're going to start with just having you tell our viewers a little bit about yourself and then a little bit about Never Saw Me Coming. Sure. So um, uh, my name is Vera. I'm a social psychologist. I live in Washington, D.C., where I work. Um, and this is my debut novel. And I also have a dog. <laughs> and that was my dog, Lord Tubby, saying, welcome, Vera. I was going to say, is that Tubby barking? Because it was definitely a small dog. <laughs> um, the So Never Saw Me Coming is about um, Chloe, who is an 18-year-old incoming freshman to university in Washington, D.C. She is a diagnosed psychopath, and she's entering a special program at her university where seven students who are psychopaths get to go to school free in exchange for being in this program where they're being scientifically studied. Uh, but what she's really there to do is hunt down and kill a boy from her past. Um, what she doesn't know is that someone around town is attempting to hunt down and kill the seven psychopaths one by one. So she has to decide whether or not she can work with people to solve this mystery. Um, I loved this premise so, so much. And I will be honest, when I booked you for this show was so many months ago, and I forgot which book this was. So then when I picked it up, I didn't read the back of it. I didn't read anything. And I'm like, I wonder what this is going to be about. And like, within like two pages, I was just like, oh my gosh. And then I like flipped to the back. And I'm like, yes, it's the psychopath one. Psychopath. Yeah. Psychopath. Um, uh, it was great. Chloe as a character, I just love so, so much. Uh, she was both funny and, of course, weirdly charming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's something wrong with us, Jen, how much we both cheered when we're like, we get to read about a bunch of psychopaths. Yay! But I think most people respond that way because usually when you get a book, there's either psychopaths, usually the bad guy, mm-hmm. not necessarily the protagonist. When do you get a bunch of them? And my favorite, when do you get to start romantically shipping psychopaths together? <laughs> oh my god! I mean, that's what this book is. <laughs> it was, oh, this it was amazing. everything. Have I ever like, shipped psychopaths? I'm sure we yeah. have, but <laughs> never did I want psychopaths to hook up so much with each other. <laughs> I just like, I wanted all the combos. <laughs> well, and yeah. that also then started us discussing how you would cast the, the, the lead male psychopath who you describe as alternating like a young yacht salesman and very reserved and buttoned down and impeccably dressed and swimmer's body. And that, that was just way more than I needed to be off in my own little dreamland. Of- yes. I mean, that's definitely like Chloe's the way that she views Ben. It's like through her telescopic, which mm-hmm. uh, she's quite shallow, but also, of course, she's going to harp on uh, a boy's beauty. She thinks he's beautiful. Well, so where did I know? So you are a social psychologist. Mm-hmm. 
uh, for those of us who went to school for theater, which is me, <laughs> what, like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so talk about what a social psychologist is. So it's, it's such a broad field. It, it's the study of how personality or context, context can affect attitudes or behavior, which is so broad. It encompasses everything from like neuroimaging to, um, dating and attachment to, um, dieting behavior. I studied politics. So it's such a broad field. Um, and, oh. Oh, well, I was, I was a poli-sci major and then went on oh. to law school. So I joke the only kind of math I passed was, it was a social science class, but yeah. it was still math. So it, it was the stats, but for social science majors. So it was really light on any kind of actual computational models. And that's mm-hmm. when all the professors admitted that none of them can do it either. And there's just one at the, at the whole department who could, and they all make her do it. Of course, it's the one woman. They're like, yeah, make Liz do it. And she would yeah, have to do everybody. That was so my like, minor. You don't really need to know. <laughs> Most minor was like quantitative methods. So nice. Like, oh, my gosh. Dang. So stats I mean, I, were, that stats was the reason I stats. became not a psychology major because I really <laughs> oh. wanted to be. And then I was like, I'm going to have to take statistics. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, I really well, just wanted to somehow jump to abnormal psychology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to get, you want to get to abnormal before going through the basics, but you kind of yeah. have to have the baseline there. But I love it because you work it into your book. So some of those things I recognize, like one of the very first experiments they do is the prisoner's dilemma. And I'm going, yeah, that's, that's first, first year of basic poli sci. You start learning some of that stuff. My, I didn't ever take like a full minor, but mine, my emphasis within the poli sci was more political theory. And Mm -hmm. I love that stuff. And I was still super disappointed because my last year I wanted to take an advanced game theory class which I didn't look very carefully at and it was open to undergrads, but it was really a grad level course. And so there were a few of us in there and the very first day they're like, well, you need to be able to do all this advanced trigonometry and calculus. And I didn't get that far in high school math. And one of my friends is like, I can tutor you. And I'm like, I am a lost cause. I'm going to go take European history. Peace out. (laughs) But I, but I was intrigued by all of it and you work it in so well, because even though you may only have it here and there in like those experiments, you have it as part of the plot because that's what all of this is, is can we trust each other? And it's better if we work together, but it's in my self-interest. Maybe if I don't trust you. Yeah. I mean, I actually mapped out for each scene. Um, what is each person's motivation? Because these are people yes. who manipulate and lie to each other constantly. So everyone's trying to manipulate someone else within each scene with different goals. And Chloe constantly has like a different scheme going every time. Oh, she loves scheming Scheming and her her wardrobes. Yeah. And her Peter Pan collar. Like now I've (laughs) got to be this person. I've got to be this person. I love that. I I don't have the wardrobe to do that. (laughs) You do, Jen. I do have the wardrobe for that, but (laughs) I'm not technically a psychopath. Well, one would hope. hope. (laughs) She has not been diagnosed as such. I have not been diagnosed as a (laughs) psychopath. Let's just go with that. I have been called a psycho by some of my ex-boyfriends. That's sure. not the case. We all have. Come on now. Uh, Laurie Schoenfeld says, hey, everybody. So happy to see you all. Laurie, I raised my owl for you, dear. Hello, Laurie. Hello. Laurie is a fellow thriller writer. And ah. and wrote Little Owl, which is hence my nod to her ah. with my little owl mug here. But no, but I love that you had that in there because everybody's motivation and it was constantly shifting. It wasn't just like throughout the book, each one wants X. Uh, because one of the other main characters, we've talked a little bit about, you know, terrible Charles and, and, and Chloe, but the, the third in the main characters that we really get this, 
this great perspective of is Andre. I just loved him because I, I don't want to say too much about him because I'm, I'm assuming some of these things are spoilers, but mm-hmm. he's, he's unusual in the group for a couple of reasons, including the fact that he's of the main characters, the only one who, who isn't white and is like, okay, so how is this impacting me and how do I have to be perceived and how I have to come across because I don't want to come across in a certain way because of societal expectations. What were some of your thoughts in writing him and his backstory? Um, so I don't think it's a spoiler to say okay. that, that he's not a psychopath. He's always not. not. He's <laughs> pretending to be one to be in the program in exchange for the, the free tuition. I will say so. I kept hoping he was actually a psychopath. <laughs> like, is, he, like, is he faking is nothing? He faking, is, like is, he, is he fake faking everybody? It's is he faking fake. himself? I thought he was double faking. It's a double yeah. double blind. I was, was a double, double doing, blind. I was doing an interview with... Um, some British uh, radio people and they were talking about that, like in exchange for tuition, I was like, yeah, in America, we have either $60,000 or going to to school for a psychopath. Um, I mean, I think for him in some ways, the character was the hardest, right? Because a, I'm writing outside of my race and I want to do it right. And I don't want to be lazy or stereotypical about it. I wanted him to be a three dimensional person with his own agenda. He's not the sidekick. He's not the funny one. He's not the like funny black friend. He, he gets kind of pulled into this like kind of, uh, sort of a fish out of water situation, but also because he's not a psychopath, the reader, a lot of readers will have to glom onto him as being like, this is the person whose mind is most similar to mine. Like, this is yes. how I would think if I was in this situation. Is it wrong that I associated with Chloe? That probably says I know, I mean, no, I, I did think too, a lot of people do too, especially <laughs> women, where it's, I mean, this is a book that's about female rage, despite the fact that it's, it's funny, but it's tapping into a lot of feelings um, that women have about these issues. I did the first major rewrite of this book during the, um, Brett Kavanaugh hearing uh, and like what uh, women were talking about at the time about, you know, senators running away from women being like, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. And like, that's kind of the feeling of, um, I wanted to write a female protagonist who was like, I'm going to take matters into my own hands and because she's no smart one else will. and she's efficient and she is going to do it. And I know that people, despite however repugnant murder is, are going to root for her because of her determination, but also like along the way, she's kind of like funny and charming. She's, she's funny and charming. She was also really good at planning things. So you have mm-hmm. to like respect her for that. Like she she's had way more organized than I am. She, I know I was like, I should take a more Chloe approach to like my writing <laughs> process. And I <laughs> like, it's 60 days. I have 60 days and I'm going to do this in 60 days. But well, I definitely wonders- like, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I, I, you know, you, I read a lot of thrillers and sometimes you see people commit these murders and you're like well i mean the police would take two seconds to figure that out so i wanted to be like okay literally how could someone get away with a murder and she's like very methodical i'm gonna collect hairs i'm gonna do this i'm gonna use a burner and like all of these other things of like let's have a reasonably intelligent person how would they do this as opposed to just like let's kind of go along with the plot and and right like let's just throw somebody down the stairs and we'll just say and, and, and nobody yeah. will figure out who did it for 18 yeah. years. Well, and that's one of my, my big pet peeves with a lot of thrillers is there will be a scene maybe that's glossed over or something. And we're going, well, wait, no, this couldn't have worked out. But they never tell us so you can't actually poke holes in it. You're just expected to believe it. And there was no part of your book that ever went there. It was it was so methodical. I'm a little worried about you now, Vera, that you were so <laughs> methodical with this. I mean, I like to think it is, but... Uh, but uh, I, but um, you know, of course, there's going to be some reviewers who are like, I think there's a plot hole. And like, I tried to be very no. 
fair without cheating. I don't like to cheat as a writer to be like, this would be an easy way to like get out of this. But like, I do think all the major questions are answered. They're not necessarily answered formally by the police, but maybe in conversation, like it must have been the case that this had happened. Well, especially when you have these group of psychopaths and they're always questioning each other and themselves. And how should I do this to make sure people see me in a certain light? And especially Chloe and Charles had such a, really interesting dynamic where he would challenge her and he could see what she was doing. And she was like, does he see what I'm doing? And he's trying to trap me. Does he see what I'm doing? And he's fine with it. Does he see what I'm doing? And he makes him want to have sex with me. Like it was just, and she was just a great character. Um, I love some of like the pop culture, funny references you did your references to American psycho. I just loved. I also liked Andre being your, your one person of color character when I think there's one line where he's just like, God, I hope I'm not like the black guy in every movie, <laughs> in, movie. in every yeah, horror movie. Horror movie. Not this yeah. time. Like, I think it's just that it was that scene where he'd left, where he's leaving and he realizes it's later at night than he realized. And he, cause he'd been so intentional about staying with yeah. groups, like, because it, it happens pretty early. This isn't a spoiler that people start dying and he's realizing, okay, I thought I came here just to get free tuition. And now I've set myself up for a much worse situation. What did I just get myself into? And, oh, hey, now I'm going to be in a horror movie. I didn't sign up for that. But he's he's actively thinking, never be alone. Oh, good, sorority girls. Got to stay with the sorority girls, trying to stay in crowds yeah. as much as possible. Yeah, and there's a scene where he's he's walking on the street at night, and he's afraid. And there's a there's a, a woman in front yeah. of him who's yeah. then afraid of him because he's yeah, black. Yeah, he's like, I'm not the bad and, guy. I'm trying know, to stay I try to work in kind of political issues without like hitting people over the head because I'm not a hit them over the head kind of writer. So some people pick up on those things and other people don't. Um, and, and that's fine with me. I'm mean, surprised if they didn't pick that up because I thought, I thought that was pretty clear, but it wasn't something where you'd be smacked over the head to the point where it pulled you out of the story. It would have yeah. just been part of, this is Andre's experience and he's yeah. used to that. And I know there was one point where it, it, the one thing you didn't say about it and I was kind of, kind of glad you didn't, but I, I was waiting for it to go there was he was wanting to put up his hood because he's like, I will feel safer with my hood up. But then he's like, oh, but I shouldn't because of my peripheral vision, which is true. And I can't drive with my hood up because of the same thing. I lose my peripheral vision. But I was just thinking of the black man in the hood and what happens there. Mm -hmm. And he never spoke about that. But I was wondering if that was even part of his internal mental calculations of, can I have this up or not? And and is it worth the risk? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, you know, as a writer of color, sometimes I make a decision about to what extent I want to engage in a particular topic. Um, yeah. and you, you did it very well without being preachy. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, having it set in DC and also being set like on the backdrop of multiple political protests, mm-hmm. like we understood the environment without you having to say, oh, it's a really terrible time to be a young black man in the yeah. United States who may or may not be associated with a crime. Yeah, and I still, like, it's still a thriller, but I also wanted there to be some leeway for Andre to, like, have have fun or, or, or like, be a fun character without it being, like, everything is terrible because this this is kind of an escapist book, right? This it is. is. Not it is. Get, it's not going to win the National Book Award, it's, but it's like a, it's, you know, people read books like this for fun, but also a little bit I want to touch on. And what I, I loved that they were still very much college kids, whether they were psychopaths, whether there was a serial killer running rampant, yeah. they were still going to parties, getting stoned, 
having sex with people they probably shouldn't be having sex with. You know, they were having a college experience. Yeah. And maybe that was easier for the psychopaths because they were like, oh, somebody has died. I'm going to this party. (laughs) Yeah. And part of the reason (laughs) I wrote this book is that I love college novels and I always thought, oh, I would love to read a thriller that takes place on a college campus because it has that insular feeling. And then Mm -hmm. everyone is kind of like young and crazy and and has bad judgment. (laughs) Which is always just bad judgment. Yeah. And it's fun to read about. It wasn't fun to like be that person who's like, Mm -hmm. I have such bad judgment and I'm making all the wrong decisions. I'm a train wreck all the time. Um, But I feel like if I was a psychopath, it would have been much more fun because I'd be like, I'm a train wreck. I mean, I'm sure Chloe (laughs) doesn't think she has bad judgment. She's like, oh, I'm a straight A student. I mean, you know, everything's fine. Everything's fine. While she's like picking up stray hairs from like random bathrooms of her town. She really did have, I mean, you can debate the morality of what she wants to do, but she's driven, she's organized, she's focused. And I love how even when things start going bad, she's like, how can I work this into my larger plot? Because mm-hmm. we find we find the first person who gets murdered before she has done what she wants to do. And she has like a timeline on things. And she's like, all right, how can I use this to my advantage? And I'm like, that's the kind of go-to attitude I like seeing that. Yeah. Instead of being, oh, no. She's like, hmm. And I I'd, I'd specifically written the book sort of in, in response to a lot of thrillers I read about where there's a lead female character who's just sort of hapless mm. and, you know, passive and, you and know, everything's hus- happening to her. Yeah. Her, her, her husband. husband did something and she finds a clue <laughs> and then asks him yeah, about it. Because he, he died of a heart attack. You know, and, and I wanted, like, he's, I wanted yeah. something like, very, like very contrary to that. I something agentic. And I think women want to read about that. Yeah, I mean, I really... Yeah, you achieved that. Because it it also had, like, these aspects of dark academia Mm -hmm. mixed with, like, it was really funny. Like, it was just a very funny book about a serial killer and psychopaths. You know, I didn't actually intend for it to be funny. Uh, It was just, I started writing it, and I knew her character, and because she's judgmental, she would say snarky things, and then I was like, oh, I'll just kind of roll with it. And then sometimes I read things that she says, and I still laugh at them, even though I wrote them. Um, That's a good sign. That is a good sign. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, uh, there, I mean, I'm not going to like, I'm kind of a funny person, so not to be immodest, <laughs> but like that, that bleeds in there, whether I meant it to or not. And, and I think there's not a lot of humor in mysteries outside of cozies. Um, right. right. So I, I, I kind of like that this was like a very dark book that still had some humor in it. Oh, Elisa von Schulman says, thank, happy Thanksgiving, Vera and Vixens. Vera, how did the voice of Chloe come to you? You know, I had actually, I, um, one day I had too much to drink and I went <laughs> to get an ice cream sandwich and they didn't have any and I got embarrassed. So I ordered a cappuccino, oh, which is like oh. really bad because I'm not supposed to have caffeine. It made me crazy. So then I went home oh and God. I wrote, I wrote a story that was, um, sort of a modern day crucible told through the perspective of a high school student. Um, and it had that teenage voice. And then shortly after that, I started writing this book. So it had, it's, she's Chloe's just very, very voicey. She um, is. Yeah, and she as is. soon as I figured out her character and also her humor and kind of her three dimensionality, I was able to get that really well. I mean, she, she, there's a lot of aspects to her personality that are very at the forefront, but also she's really not someone who's self-aware. Um, and I hope that comes across in the book where she's kind of unaware of, you know, she thinks that if she murders Will, it will make everything better. 
Yeah. Um, like she, that will, though she can't yeah. feel happiness. I feel like she thinks, well, maybe that'll be like as close to happiness yeah. or maybe or like, that will be what causes me to feel happiness. She just sort of assumes that or like, mm-hmm. um, you know, she doesn't, she's not sexually attracted to Chad until she thinks he might be a murderer. And then she's like, Oh, I really want to sleep with him. <laughs> she just doesn't understand why. <laughs> Look, we've all made those choices. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I, I love that it came from this place of drinking, needing, needing ice cream, and then behaving <laughs> in this way. That it's like that does sound like a teenage kind of thing, like this place where you're being driven by desires rather than rationality. And in many ways, even though Chloe is very rational in things, she is being driven by desire rather than going really. Wh- why should I spend my time or? change where I'm going to school in order to do this. But it's like, no, this is, this is what I'm doing. This is my path. And, and she's so methodical about it, even including having these, these deadlines on it where she doesn't want to set things in motion too soon. Or when things maybe don't go according to plan, it's like, Oh, don't want it to happen just yet. It's like, well, why not? Yeah. <laughs> like it's not time for phase three yet. Exactly. Yeah. She's very regimented of like, she wants yes. things to fit into her, her time, her time. Things and, and then gets frustrated with anything else gets in the way well i could totally see this being like um a netflix tv show um, limited series limited series like loved it it had you know i love that young voice so much and i just feel like i could that's see just because we want to cast the show admit it because i yeah but we also <laughs> we couldn't find an uh, we don't know the younger actors that much so we i were, know we're like we're like 20 years too old too. for all the characters yeah. so we were like who would play charles and we were like i don't know that hot blonde vampire from true yeah Blood? we're like alexander like, skarsgård i'm like i think he's, he's like 50. 45 <laughs> <laughs> yes if he was 18 if he was well, 18. i um i don't really have any information on this front i did sell the tv rights uh, and they are interested in pitching it as a streaming well tell them I to call for casting and we'll promise to come up with some we'll some be like um alexander skarsgård's son, son there's actually like, many skarsgårds i know there I are, but family. a skarsgård we were Skarsgard. we were talking is it it's is it bill who's bill the one is the one is that you said was too creepy he's too creepy i do love him though i, I, I too, but he, said he doesn't fit for charles because here's the thing about charles is he doesn't look like a psychopath and don't tell me Bill Skarsgård yeah. doesn't always look like a psychopath. <laughs> no offense. I still think he's hot, but I still think that uh, when I, when, you know, I, I have Scrivener and I had like character mm. profiles and I think for Charles, I had Googled watch model oh, watch <laughs> <laughs> for a, a fancy watch. I yeah. had a picture of like a slightly a sinister looking handsome man. Yeah. Um, and oh my God. Watch model. Watch well, model. The other one we came up with, I don't know if you know who Aaron Tveit is. I don't think so, unless... So, so I first saw him, I want to say I first saw him in Les Mis, but then he was also in Gossip Girl, but I, I didn't place it at the time. He was then on a USA show called Graceland, and he was recently in um, Schmigadoon, if anybody's seen Schmigadoon. Now I want to know who this is. Also, yeah. I saw him, but he was in Moulin Rouge, you the saw him Broadway musical. As the leading Moulin Rouge, and you sent me a clip for that, and I thank you for that. But who I was he in Les Mis? In, in Les Mis, he was, okay, I can't pronounce the French, he's He's not, he's, he's N, uh, E-N-J-O-L-R-A-S. I can't pronounce that. But he's, he's the one, the one with the flag. <laughs> he's the leader of the, of the, the students. Oh, I don't know how to yeah. pronounce that. And But he's not, he's uh, not Marius and he's not, he's not Jean-Paul Yeah, Jean, but the main political guy. In the movie version. The main political yeah. guy. And okay. he would be a good one. But again, he's too I determined old, he but he can play he's young. He's way too old now. But, but I, I determined, I, I don't think he can play a psychopath because he's so straight-laced. I would have a hard time seeing him be 
evil. But I saw him in Gossip Girl, and he was like the was bad he cousin. There? Yeah, he was like okay. a poli- a, like a, a political person, a bad cousin, a bad cousin. I, yeah. Like, All I want is the you know I think that the movie adaptation of um, Gone Girl was really good. Yes. Um, partially because she wrote the screenplay, but um, Rosamund Pike's performance in that where she sometimes is just like when she ha- just dead in the eyes and doing you know yeah. what with a champagne bottle. I mean, that's just like perfect. You're like, yeah, I need a like, younger version to do this. She's got to yes, be like yeah. 18 years old. She's going to be 18. Yeah. Someone who could be yeah. dead in yeah. the eyes, but then also be charming and then put on the Peter Pan collar and be the innocent girl. And then, yeah. you know, all of the different faces. I have an 11 year old who could probably do it. <laughs> Sorry. That's uh, my list. <laughs> I'm like, but we could really want her to do some of those scenes. No, Allison, I don't no. want her to do any of those scenes. I'm just saying she can be the, the dead in the eyes and still so very cute. And it's like, are you all right, child? <laughs> no. And I'm not just for, for Andre. I just, I love him and I'm going, okay, who would you have? And again, I don't know anybody in that age range. Everybody, all the actors I love are all aging up and I'm going, yeah, no. Yeah, Donald Glover played a college student 15 years ago. Yeah, I've definitely yeah. Googled like, Young boy with dimples. And the things that you Google when you're a writer. Yeah. And you're like, and then you're like not oh, being I creepy. Mean boy. I am <laughs> not creepy. <laughs> yeah. I'm just looking for inspiration. Okay. Exactly. Well, midway through our conversation of who should play Charles, I Googled because I couldn't think of anybody. I'm like, hot blonde actor. Then we just determined we don't find blondes that attractive, even though Jen's married to one. <laughs> I'm very attracted to my husband, but yeah. And I, so we were like brainstorming. We we're like, is Thor a blonde man? We determined. Is- I don't think he's hot when he's a blonde. Oh, sorry. I like him when his hair shorter. And and then he got funny, right? Basically, I need the Taika Waititi version, and then I think um, Taika Waititi's hot, but he doesn't have a place in the show. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Luckily, there'll be people who can do this for you. They do it for a living. I think I won't have any say. You'll have any say, and then we'll we'll know who young actors are again. Well, and the other character, and we didn't, we didn't talk about casting this, but the one that you and I talked about also, Jen, was Kristen, the the girlfriend of the psychopath. And our thoughts about her and the kinds of things that. I had so many thoughts about Kristen. Really? She was. Well, we don't want to, we don't want to give anything away on the air. So we'll have to wait till we're off. Oh, okay. We, we had lots of thoughts about her and, and so many ideas. And I think it's one of the things that really works for your book because there are a lot of thrillers I've read where it's so clearly telegraphed what's going to happen and who's going to do what because they're giving clues, which you need to. But then there weren't other opportunities or other possible people. Whereas you had this set up in such a way that other than because Chloe was first person and unless you were going to pull an unreliable narrator and go, just kidding, I was in three places at once, which you didn't do. So thank you. That's what I was I'm sure there's an author who's done that, that you had all these possible people and you really were turning each page going, can I trust this person? Is this account accurate? Should Chloe trust this person? Ooh, should Andre, should any of these people sitting in the room trust each other? And they're all like doing this at each other. And, you know, eating funnel cake cheeseburgers. So, yeah, I definitely wanted there to be like, not really a locked room, but there's like, there's a set, you know, list of people Mm -hmm. and then people inevitably will point to one of them. I mean, uh, as I was mentioning earlier before recording, I think the book is a little polarizing because of the ending where like what what kind of what kind of complaints are you getting? Are are they saying that it's predictable? Are they saying Um, they didn't see it coming because it's in the title? Some people say... 
I figured out the twist, which is interesting because there is no twist. I was going to say, what twist? twist? Um, I, I really just felt I so guess stupid ending, for a second. I'm like, I think in thrillers, people assume the ending is a twist, but the ending is not a twist. This that, is no, a traditional Okay, this gets back to the whole idea that if the story can continue another book, it could be a, it's a cliffhanger. That's not what a cliffhanger is. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that yeah. kind of thing. I, and I think, like, I don't know if it was that they kind of wanted a more banger ending but the they thing is it, like yeah i me as a writer my brand i do high concept but i'm very old-fashioned you know I, I do character-driven stuff if there's a mystery it's gonna it's not gonna have like a crazy um you know twist ending uh because that's just not me and maybe people were expecting that were they expecting um, like a soap opera style ending where it's like oh and this person has been masquerading as their own grandchild and the whips off the latex I th- honestly yeah i think yeah. so and like i definitely like to me uh, this ca- has kind of a bond villain bond villain ending hmm. uh i wanted that and to me i was kind of making fun of the idea of a twist at the end and i think maybe some people didn't see or get that and they kind of wanted the more crazy it's the grandmother's in in you know, mm-hmm. secret kind of ending. Yeah. But um, that's just not me as a writer. So uh, before we wrap up, we still got some time. Um, so this is your debut novel mm-hmm. and it's a smashing debut. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, what was your process like? Like, did you, you obviously you're a social psychologist. Mm-hmm. Have you been have you been writing all this time? Is this your first novel that you've shopped? Is it one of, so, um, I was a short story writer for a very long period of time, like high school onwards. And then, uh, I wrote my first novel in 2013, which was pretty good. And I did, I did uh, attempt to get an agent for that. had some close calls, but ultimately no. Then I wrote, um, a science fiction book, um, which also got some close calls with agents. And I was supposed to be working on a revision of that when I got the idea for this which I wrote very quickly. And that um, when I was writing it, I was like, if I can't get an agent for this, there's nothing I can write that will get an agent. So this was going to be like my last book that if I couldn't get an agent for, I would go back to exclusively writing short stories because I've actually been pretty successful at placing short stories, whereas getting an agent and getting a book deal is quite hard. It is um, hard. We, yeah. I did. This I is did why we agent. talk about it. We just, yeah. And so I, I got an agent for this. I then. saw in your acknowledgments, I think you were just like, thank you to my agent for, because you said you had like 300 rejections, which yeah. I'm sure is an exaggeration, but it always no, feels like it's 300. Not, it's well, not an exaggeration. You shopped three different books and it sounds like, yeah. well, what's the genre of the first book? You the said first the second, one was literary and the second one was sci-fi. And then the second one was sci-fi. Got it. So you probably were shopping three different groups of agents. So if you got if you got rejections for each one, you can you can stack those up pretty quickly. Oh know? yeah, I mean the first the first book probably got two hundred something rejections, mm. and then um, you know, so you have, you have to be willing to put up with a lot of rejection. And then once we, this, once we shop this, it, it got snapped up right away. See, I'm wondering if one of the rejections you told the story of Chloe's voice, and I'm just wondering if like the ice cream and the drinking were following one of those rejections because that seems like the proper response to those rejections. Because <laughs> I need an ice cream sandwich. Yeah, exactly. There were many, many, many times where I was just like, oh, you know, really depressed, and should I just quit writing? And maybe I'm not a good writer, or like reading books that are published and being like, I don't know, I kind of think mine's better. Vera, this is like the whole plot of our show right now. We talk about like, look how great this is, and then we're like, 
let's talk about how terrible the process was. <laughs> the process, is, is the process to getting to like this amazing Here. thing who's, mm-hmm. you know. Well, being a writer is one thing. Being a published author is a totally, you have to be a business person. You have to have a very thick skin. You have to do PR. You have to do social media. It's a whole other thing. It's, it's a whole bottle, bottle of. It's a whole bottle of bourbon. I was, I was going to say a whole kettle of fish, but it came out bottle. And I swear, this is just coffee. I clearly need more. As far as we can tell. I haven't had any booze. It's coffee with rum in it. It's peppermint mocha. I mean, literally, it's not even like... The sugar and the caffeine in there would make me so buzzy and crazy that it would be like worse than being drunk. This is why I don't have caffeine. I need the caffeine. No caffeine for Vera. No. I don't do caffeine either. Every once in a while, like um, I teach and my students will bring me a coffee and I'm like, I'll just take... I'll have a little of it. And then like two seconds later, my heart's going crazy. And I'm yeah. like, am I having a panic attack? Why I am I so that. sweaty? And I'm like, oh, it's just the caffeine. Calm yeah. yourself down. And that's when Jen's like, everybody, jitterbug. Jen's a dance teacher. I'm a so. dance teacher. Oh. <laughs> She's like, no waltzing. We've got to go fast. Here we go. Next <laughs> yeah. stop, go. I well, like and Dara, I'm curious. So you, you had, you went literary, then science fiction. Mm-hmm. And then this, this one is a psychological thriller. Is yeah. there, is there a reason you kept switching genres where you were thinking, I'll have, I'll have a better in, or this is more my voice or, cause now I'm like, I want to read your science fiction. Cause I, yeah, I, I want to read literary. the literary. <laughs> well, and I want to read literary too. Cause I write literary science fiction and oh. then separately I write contemporary romance. And yeah. for me, the contemporary romance is out. My literary science fiction is not yet. So I'm curious, like, were you switching till you found something where it was more you, or did you just think that the business end of it, as far as getting, getting in, like the door would be the easier door or the more welcoming door? I, w- I wasn't really cognizant of it. I mean, when I first started writing short stories, they were kind of traditional um, modern realist. Okay. And then they started to become more strange, like a little more Italo Calvino or like um, Donald Bartham. And that, you know, it seemed natural that my first book would be a literary novel, although it was high concept. And then I, I-, I took some of the characters from that book and then wrote a novella which was a science fiction one. And then around that novella, I kind of made an entire world. So you went literary into science fiction from the same characters. Yeah. And that, Ooh, really? um, that. the the switch to the thriller was completely random. I think it's because I read a lot of thrillers. And then mm-hmm. my next book will not be a thriller. It will be a mystery. So um, how different though were thrillers and mysteries? Because I think for me, they're on my same Goodread shelf. Yeah, I think they're quite different. I mean, a thriller has to be fast paced. Yeah. And it has to to happen like in a certain amount of time. And I think, I think overwhelmingly a thriller is not about something happened. Let's figure out what happened, but something is happening. Ooh, okay. Whereas a mystery is often something has happened. Let's figure it out. Like a traditional detective story. And I think thrillers too, you can't have any kind of flashbacks. You're not like, like it, it has to all be. There's almost Are you remembering your rules, Jen? I'm remembering my rules. Yeah, there's there's like (laughs) maybe two very short flashbacks in this book, but the chapters are so short and it's very like propulsive, which... um, The one you're writing now or the one we just read? The one you just read. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say very much so. It's it's for as long as it is, because I'm trying to remember, it was like, 392 pages on the pdf yeah. is that about right yeah it, and I, I i looked at it and i'm like oh i better start reading this because it's going to take a while and then it didn't because it yeah. is that bingeable yeah. ooh, i can just read one more i can just do that the pringles i thought the same thing i yeah. was like oh gosh i have to start it now so i get it done 
And then yeah, I, I finished in a day and a half. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we read, a, a, well, we each read for each of our shows and then we each also have a separate show. So we usually have on average a book plus per week that we've got to be done oh. on time. So par- parsing that out for it, it read faster than books that were a hundred page shorter that yeah, I've yeah. had to read that the, because of that, that pacing and yes, the short chapters and yeah, uh, it's um, what's happening very, next. And then, very much designed it to be, to be read that way. And that now I'm kind of enjoying not having that stricture where I can have mm-hmm. a longer chapter. I can have flashbacks or have people kind of um, taking their time. More. breathing yeah, yeah. Breathe, breathe. <laughs> breathing just breathing well and um, also the fact that you've got multiple points of view moved it very quickly because it's like you, yeah. you leave where andre is and then you pick up and charles is getting out of the pool and then it moves because you're like passing the baton between them so it moves the story forward with a really intentional pacing and the, the countdown aspect that we're counting mm-hmm. down to something it just drives you forward yeah. And I, w- I wanted to use the point of view to build mystery as opposed to using like tricks, mm-hmm. like, you know, withholding or something. And so I appreciate like, that. You know, I don't like yeah, withholding. Where we don't know who knows what, and that's kind mm-hmm. of propelling the story forward. Or you get to see Andre's perspective on how Chloe appears mm-hmm. through a different p- point of view. So I wanted to use that to build dramatic irony or to, to yeah. build tension. It really worked. And what I, what I was wondering if um, any of your, if your editor or your agent or anyone said, cause you do play with the POV. You had one person, you had Chloe who was, it was first person mm-hmm. and nobody else was in first person, yeah. which I just loved more than I thought I was going to love it at first. I'm like, why yeah. is Chloe the only one in first person? <laughs> um, did you get any pushback about that? Like, um, oh, it's too weird. Why no. Are- yeah, that's interesting you say that. I, I don't think I would ever write a book that had more than one first-person point of view. I don't know if I can think of a book that does that effectively because often they, the narrators sound too similar. Yes. Um, I've read it in rom-coms and it's not a thing I particularly like. It's the guy's view and the girl's view. Yeah. And, they, and you're right. Not only do they usually end up sounding like the same voice, but I have heard of people where it's a tag team writing mm-hmm. where one is writing one POV oh, and one's writing the other. Yeah. So they do have different voices because you literally have two different authors doing yeah. that. But I hear what you're saying. It yeah. Would, I feel like sometimes it works if, and this is usually more in like historical fiction or even like historical mystery when it's like, it's set like a hundred years apart yes. from each other. Yeah. So that yeah. it gets so different. That, I like, think, um, I was just thinking of Cloud Alice. I think more than one narrator is first yeah. person in that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, maybe one is epistolic. But yeah, I mean, it never occurred to me to write any of the other point of views in first person. There was one other point of view that got cut. Oh, uh, oh. One of the other um, psychopaths, the, oh. the very the very creepy one, was an initial. Oh, I was just going to say, <gasps> I didn't want to say his name. Very creepy. Um, oh, very gross. I, I wouldn't have minded yeah. like one chapter of that. I'm glad you left that out. I think it was. <laughs> See, I like gr- like really dark, really gross. Oh, I'm like, it was oh. like a gross. It was a gross masturbation scene. Oh, again, glad you left it out. Yeah, I think but it was. It's right also decision. it's also it's one of those right things decision. where I, I and again, here's the thing that I think you did so masterfully is that we have this stereotype about what a psychopath is, mm-hmm. and you handle it from a 
I don't want to say clinical because that sounds cold, but a an academic point of view of these people aren't necessarily monsters. They have yeah. different wiring on how they process the world around them. And the whole point of this program they're in is to be able to function in this world that they maybe aren't great cut. They're not great cut out to do so without some kind of training and learning how to control impulses, et cetera. So, so they're doing that. And if you would have had something where this guy clearly is gross and creepy and a monster, it would have undercut that. Yeah. Because even though Chloe's, yeah, Chloe's off plotting a murder and tar- terrible child, Charles is terrible Charles and Andre's not even a psychopath. If you would have had someone who's like, yeah, I'm doing a gross masturbation scene and he's super creeper and we had his POV too. I think it would have pulled away from these other characters and how human and three-dimensional you made them. Yeah, I, th- I definitely wanted seven completely different psychopaths. I mean, I think often in novels where, say, someone has, say, depression, they're depicted as a textbook case. Yeah. Um, the reality is people with the same diagnosis can be completely different. And they also have, like Chloe, for example, has a completely different perspective on her diagnosis than other people in the book that are diagnosed. Exactly. One person wants to get better. She thinks there's nothing wrong with her. If anything, she thinks she's better. She's like, hey, um, look at my grades, and I'm going to be getting into med school. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll do the dissection. This doesn't bother me. Yeah, and I kind of think she would get into med school. Well, I'm sure she would. She, I'd, she I'd, would. I'd she want would. her to be my doctor, honestly, because assuming that I didn't wrong her, there there's nothing in Chloe's personality or the way she behaves that's like, I'm just out to cause trouble, or I just want to yeah. hurt other people. Like, she makes it really clear that the person that she's gunning for has I go and that's part of the reason it's so easy to empathize with her because you wouldn't have to be a psychopath to want to take care of her to be like yeah this this guy needs to go and you wouldn't have to be like oh I'm also psychopathic to understand her motives and her yeah. intentionalities she has a she has a a moral compass of a sort it's different than mine and yours but she has rules that she's following Exactly. Um, I don't think she cares about morality, but she's not right. going around killing people because she wants their Louis Vuitton. And she's not doing it for fun. No, no. and she's, she's, she's not a pleasure killer. And, and what she's doing, it's, I mean, it really is the out for justice person. And she happens to be a psychopath. That's the difference versus just, oh, she's, she's out just for, you know, this is how she gets her kicks. Yeah, right? she's not reveling in the violence. That's no. why That's why I had the scene where she eats the Luna Bar. And, like, the eating of the Luna Bar is a very hollow, very hollow action. I'm not I'm not negging on Luna Bar. I was going to say, I'm like, I have a lemon blueberry one in my cabinet. Are you telling me to do that? I actually, like, yeah, but I, I wanted it. I didn't want it to be this, like, you know, walking away from fire in slow motion. But I, this, like, this is a little hollow. She well, now like you're going to have to tell Netflix they can't have that. She can eat a Luna bar in slow motion. Oh, and then we get product placement money from Luna bar. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And I will just say, when I was in school for theater in college, I went on this diet that I only ate Luna bars and I lost a ton of weight. I don't Which is like, that's a terrible thing. That's a good thing. I know. It wasn't good, but I'm just saying. (laughs) I mean, there's a variety of flavors, but that's still not a complete diet, no matter how you spin it. No, it wasn't. No, not at all. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not advocating for that viewers, listeners, don't just Luna eat bar. bars. <laughs> don't just eat them. Eat them as a supplement. <laughs> and then unwrap them in slow motion. Yes. And speaking of slow motion, so Vera, you were saying the big difference between mysteries and thr- thrillers are you do have more time in your mystery to kind of 
breathe, as we say, eat your Luna bars more slowly <laughs> and, and do that. Um, do you have a, a release date for that one yet? Or is it still where? Are no, you I'm still, I haven't even pitched it to anyone. Oh. I'm kind of in the <laughs> I haven't started it yet. I've maybe written 10% of it. Um, and I planned, I planned out a lot of it last year when I was just kind of in a holding pattern for this book mm-hmm. to come out. Um, and it has a pretty intricate plot line with a lot of characters. So I, I did a lot of just plotting and planning before I ever picked up the pen, which is typical for me. Um, so that when I did pick up the pen, I actually write pretty quickly because I've plotted everything out and I know the characters like completely. I love that. Um, it's much more organized than I am. Or I'm me. Extremely organized. Yeah. See, and that's good. <laughs> It doesn't. I'm not shocked by that. Um, I am in awe of it because I sit down at the computer and go, okay, I really don't know what this is going to be. Let's just see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then I, and then I kick myself because I'm like, I wonder if I had, like, if I knew what was going to happen, it, it would be faster. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think part of it comes from like, you know, working full time and being pretty busy of like, I only have so much time to write. So I'm going to mm-hmm. use that time to just like knock out task, task, task. And then I have to go do my next you know, activity or whatever. Does your brainstorming ever happen while you're supposed to be doing something work related? Um, not really work related. Go I admit it on camera, Vera. I, th- I, know, I think I a lot like, when uh, I'm allegedly like, <laughs> when I'm like uh, you know walking the dog or like mm-hmm. showering, lifting weights. When I'm kind of just kind of like meandering around, I I can't do only one thing. I have to mm-hmm. constantly be. So there have been times where I'm listening to an audio book and then I start thinking about my own thought. Like that and then kind of thing. Do that. Yeah. Pause the audio book and then I've had to like do that too. Down notes. Yeah. I'm like, I swear this is a good book. Pause, thinking my own thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because for the most part, I tend to have most of it figured out in my head before I start writing it down. That's awesome right. though, because you're right. If you have it all figured out and then it's just a matter of getting each sentence to to shine rather going rather than going, I don't know what the sentence is even supposed to say, or if it's leading to the right direction. It's a faster process. Yeah. Well, like logical consistency is really important for me. And that also includes characters should not do something out of character yes. unless it's in their character, not to be a tautology, but I, don't, <laughs> I hate in books when a character does something that's completely outside of, and it's only to, to serve the plot. Mm-hmm. So, you mm-hmm. know, I want it to be something that's internally consistent, which I think of as like not cheating. No, no that I is what saying. that makes sense. Yeah. Like, so like, I think Allison and I both come from a very character driven place when we write. Yep. So I feel like she and I might not know what our plots are in our books, but we really know who's, who the players are. I'm like, yeah. I know who's in my book. I don't know what the book is what about. They're doing. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing, but I know them. And I figure out once I know where they are, they'll tell me what they're doing. Yeah. It's, it's true. And, and I think everybody has a different process and that whole idea of like, what would make it go faster, I think really varies from person to person. Because I know if I was told, oh, you've got to plot all this out, I wouldn't get past anything because until I let the characters start breathing and just having full scenes in front of me, I don't know where it's going or what's happening. And I wish that I wasn't like that. I wish I could change things around because I know the whole idea of like, oh, well, start outlining your next book. It doesn't work like that for me. And so wow. I can start writing a book and then go, this isn't going anywhere I want it to and have to kind of go, this, this is going to go off to the side where you'd be like, Oh, but couldn't you have just done a quick outline and go, this has no potential. It's like, no, cause that's just not, uh, yeah. that's not how this works. Yeah. If it works at all. It works. Sometimes. On the day that is for debate. I know you and I split that one brain. So. I know if you have it, mine doesn't work. I know. <laughs> 
<laughs> who's been using it the past week? <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't mine's just mine's just in full shutdown mode. I mean, I'll I'll blame I'll blame the uh, the turkey, but it's not the turkey. I'm the turkey. <laughs> Well, on that note, I think we should wrap up because we have our Thanksgiving segue. Um, thank you, everybody who is watching this live. And thank you for people who are watching or listening on the replay. Um, we are live on the eve before American Thanksgiving. So happy early Thanksgiving to everybody in the United States who is watching this. We're too uh, late Vera. for Canadians. You guys already had yours. Yeah. They had theirs already. Um, thank you, Vera, for being here. Thank you for writing this book. Um, we can't wait to read whatever you write next, whenever that may be, and uh, binge watch your show when it's streaming someplace. Yes. Stay tuned, everyone. Next week, I'm going to have to use a cheater. Next week, when we have Jeffrey Cranor and Janina Matthewson. With their book, You Feel It Just Below the Ribs. I knew I wouldn't be able to remember both of their names at the same time. And the title is long. Long title, two names. That's too much to expect from me on this late Wednesday night. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Pam Stack and Roman Sereton and everybody at the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. This has been a copywritten podcast, and we will see you all next week.